Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition, a new edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. I found my way back into the studio. I found the key. I'm here with my good buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Amen, Bill. It's good to have you back, too. We missed you. I know I did. I think the podcast is better with you involved in it. That's for sure. Well, that's up for debate, but (laughs) (laughs) I think the same thing with you. I think better together. It's a new podcast and I we should start off by thanking that guy Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Tell him. Give give the testimony. Okay. We got a text from Bob and he really was getting the comparison that you did last week of the law of the sin and death and the law of the spirit of the life in Christ. Laws of dynamics. Those two laws of dynamics, two principal laws, not a legal law, but a a law of dynamics, which means it, it, it works the same every single time. And it, it was the Bible that was showing us the laws of dynamics. It wasn't us making up laws of dynamics. It was the actual Bible showing us with a small l law they're called the two in question are called the law of the sin and the death and the law of the spirit of the life in christ those two laws have been well the law of the sin and death has been in place since adam did the sin that was the law of the sin and the death the thinking that you could be like God without God just in your own human strength and the law of the spirit of the life in Christ came around with the new covenant that is the dynamic of the new covenant and you showed how the law of the sin and the death is really believing that you have this free will that allows you to please God and be like God only without God. And I know that's going to come as an insult to people that trust in their free will. But when you say you can be like God without God, that's what... When you say I can by my free will and by my choices, I can do good. You're actually saying I can be like God without God. That was the problem in the guardian garden of Eden. And you guys, we, we know that this is a sensitive issue and we mean no disrespect when we're talking about the idea of free will, whether you have it or not, whether the Bible says you have it. 
And there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, what good things must I do to get eternal life? So his mistake was thinking, not not thinking there's good things, but thinking he could do them. And Jesus' first response is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Meaning, why do you think, since you're not God, you could do good things? Only God can do good things. God doing good things is compared to the law of aerodynamics. It is the law of the spirit of the life in Christ, which allows you to escape escape the law of the sin and the death. That consistent principle that you can't do good without God is overcome by allowing the Holy Spirit to do good for you and through you and in you. But if you're living by your free will, your determination to do good, you're not God, you can't do the good, and you can't escape the law of the sin and the death, trying to do good and failing. And you brought up a comparison of the... I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. I've heard (laughs) better representations of the law of aerodynamics that you gave. Yeah, you're the one who got me started on that. And um, But back to Bob. His question was, mm -hmm. I see jet fuel as kind of like a picture of the Holy Spirit. Am I right to make that comparison, that analysis? So I'll let you answer Bob's question. You certainly are, Bob, and we thank you for the encouragement shows that you're listening your question your question shows that you're listening and that's just too cool to us and the to the answer that question is you are dead square on track dead square on track the holy spirit is like jet fuel the holy spirit is it makes it happen yes it puts the jet in motion so it can escape the law of the sin and the death. It puts our life in motion that we can escape the law of sin and death. And just like the jet can't use it in its own power, somebody has to turn the jet on to be able to use the Spirit. We can't use the Spirit's power without the Spirit initiating it in us. And we're dependent on that spirit. Completely. Apart from the spirit, we can do nothing. So that's how dependent we are on the spirit. No spirit, shut it down. Nothing's going to happen. So that's the way I kind of am learning to live. If the spirit's not with me, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to rest in his promises. I'm not going to, well, I still do. (laughs) But I'm learning to um, don't go forward until you got the spirit. 
working in you. And then I'm also learning to have peace about that because I'm, I'm not supposed to do everything that pops into my mind. I'm, I'm not, let me put it this way, I'm not responsible for doing everything that pops in my mind. I run across 30, 40 homeless people a day. I run across at all the lights, the people with the signs saying, help me, God bless. Sometimes I roll down my window and help them. A lot of times I don't. Have and the change. I, Just I can't do it. Yeah. And if I did, I would be relying on my human effort, my guilt, my wanting to do good ability, my flesh, really what you get when it gets down to it, to do that. And I know from experience, you burn out pretty quick that way. Your human effort will only get you so far and it and it doesn't it doesn't count. It it's because it falls so short of the standard that it needs to reach. It, it's like God said to Israel, your righteousness is as a filthy rag to me. Not not your debauchery is a filthy rag, but the best job you are doing for God is a filthy rag to God. The best we ever do, the most holy we look, if God's not causing it to happen through us, then it is it looks like a filthy rag and on the day of judgment, it ends up being burned up, those words. We're saved, but we're saved as a man that made it yet through fire. Works are burned up. The works are all burned up. Which gets me to a couple questions, our dog Steve. Question one is, what motivates the believer to do good? So we're going to have to come up with an answer for that. If I'm not doing good works, what's going to happen to me? Was I supposed to do them? Am I going to get recompense for not doing them? Am I going to have a bad day? Is God going to curse what I didn't, was supposed to do, but didn't do? Those are questions we all wrestle with. I'm going to read about eight verses. Is that okay? And then we can comment on the one in the middle. The reason I said the middle because I didn't print the numbers. So. <laughs> but it, it's Romans 2, 1 through 8, and everyone's familiar with it. And there's a shocker in here. I'm, I mean a real shocker. I think it's set verse 7, but don't hold me to it. Okay. Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. This begins where he just left off in Romans 1, saying there's no one good, no one does right, no one. So right goes completely with what, why would you want to try something in the human effort when no one does good, no one does right, no one makes the mark, no one even comes close to hitting the mark. We all fail, we all come up short of that expectation. That's in Romans 3.10. And it's also in Romans 1, after you get to um, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God to deliver you from the things you can't, 
from the law of sin and death. That's what the gospel is. And then he says, we all, we all fall short of God's expectations. And that it, yeah, that is in Romans 3, 2. So Romans 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else. For on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself. Because you who judge practice the same things. And that word is not poieo, it's prazo. Prazo, for sure. So you habitually do the same things that you point your finger at someone else and say, look at that guy. He never does the right. He never feeds the homeless. He never he never even stops at the red light and passes out money. Well, when I do that, I habitually practice this thing I accuse other people of doing. Now, we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. Prazo again. And do you think whoever you are when you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you have contempt for the wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, and yet do not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And do you think, whoever you are, you judge that those who practice such things yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you, I'm reading it again, or do you have contempt for the wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, and not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? I didn't know that. And again, that was Romans? That was Romans 2. Okay. And I'm just getting started. Yeah. I'm, I'm repeating some of it for emphasis. But the point was, he says, that God's kindness leads you, plural, all of us, to repentance. God's kindness, let me say that again. What leads us to change our mind? God's wrath, God's judgment, or God's kindness? Clearly his judgment. If you don't fear God and his judgment, then... then that's what we hear all the time. That's what we hear all the time. No, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his mercy that leads us to repentance. Every time he causes us to blossom as a Christian, even if it's only for 10 minutes, that's his mercy and his kindness because our human nature is not going to produce what the Spirit of God produces when the Spirit of God manifests itself in us. In other words, we're all failures in and of ourselves. And there's only two kinds of failures in the world. People that know they're a failure and people that don't think they're a failure. But they're both failures. And it's the people that don't know they're a failure, that the law comes down hard on them. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he had to like, magnify the law and they still didn't get it 
but the people that do get it and they do know that they can't keep the law, they're the ones that repent. In other words, they change their mind. They stop thinking they can do God's righteous requirements in and of their own selves, the law of gravity, and they start thinking towards the law of aerodynamics. Or, to put it in Bible terms, they stop depending on the law of your will and trying hard, and they start depending on the law of the spirit of the life in Christ. He closes it by saying this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will reward each one according to his works. Oh, no, it's so bad. He's going to reward us. He's horrible. Oh, that's so scary. And all you Bible nerds will, will recognize that's a quote from Psalm 62, quote. Also, Proverbs 24. Do, do you want me to read what Psalm? Yeah, go ahead. Should I do the whole Psalm or how about I do 11 and 12? Okay. We'll get to the point. This is the principle. He says, Do you not realize God will reward or recompense, in some translations, each one according to his work? Psalm 62, verse 11 and 12. God has declared one principle, two principles, I have heard. God is strong. And you, O Lord, demonstrate loyal love, for you repay men for what they do. Yeah, buddy. You're going to pay for that. It sounds scary, doesn't it? You were in a hurry, Bill, mm-hmm. and you didn't stop and help that homeless guy? Mm-hmm. You didn't get repaid for that. I'm so scared. <laughs> okay. So, we don't want to get repaid for what we deserve. Do you know how he repays us? <laughs> this is going to be a, a bombshell. The word repay... And your NASB, it even sounds more severe. Recompense. Recompense. <laughs> Recompensate, I think is what that means. So he's going to repay you with some severe punishment. And he's going to make life miserable for Steve. Because you could have stopped and given that homeless guy something. So he's going to repay. And all our legalistic friends can't wait for that to happen. Right. Boy, they're like, man, these people are finally going to, they don't live like me, mm-hmm. righteously, and mm-hmm. I exercise mm-hmm. my free will, and I make good choices, and and God's going to reward me for my good choices. Yeah. And those people make bad choices, and they don't even try, and God's going to repay them, and that's going to be something that they're going to enjoy watching, watching God repay them. Yes, so, do you want to know what the word recompense means? How he repays them? I want to hear the good news. Yes. 
You want to hear the good news? The word for recompense is Hebrew word 7999. And it is the word shalom. To be in a covenant of peace. <laughs> He's going to shalom all those people. He's going to covenant of peace with all those people. Read the verse now all over again. Okay. God has decreed one principle, two principles I have heard. I have heard. God is strong and you, O oh Lord, demonstrate loyal love. That's that word hased. Again, we get our word grace from that. You demonstrate your grace, for you give peace to men for what they did wrong. <laughs> you, you give them peace. You give them peace. You give them shalom. You shalom the people who did wrong. And why? Because he knew we couldn't do it anyway. So once you've learned it, he's like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Be at peace. Yeah. I knew you couldn't do it. But I needed you to know you couldn't do it. And why the writers write recompense here for the same word that they have used a thousand times in a different way, and why they just change the meaning. Everybody knows what shalom means. It means peace, peace, brother, peace. I give you peace. Give me peace. We give each other peace. It's all about peace. Shalom. Shalom's right here, and they change it to, to something that's scary. Shalom, this word for shalom is to be in a covenant of peace. Isn't that the gospel? The gospel of, it's only described in two words, the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace. And what does the gospel of grace teaches us? Doesn't it say in Titus 2.12 that the gospel of grace teaches us to say no. no to ungodliness? Yes. And to live upright, soberly, a few other things. Live a good life by the Spirit. That's what the gospel is. It's the gospel of peace, meaning that all... It's a covenant of peace. It's a covenant of peace. You, I put all that burden on you to show you that you, you could never keep that burden. And then once you discovered that you could not keep that burden, I could give you peace because I'm going to send my son and he's going to live a perfect life. And everything you think that you should, you deserve, all the wrath you think you deserve, all the reward according to your failures you think you deserve, Jesus took all of it and he exchanges it with his peace. So there's peace when you know that he paid for all your mistakes. Whether they be just out and out, I don't care what I do, or when it's you tried real hard to do good and you just fell short, all of those are paid for. And when you know that's paid for, you have peace. That's why it's the gospel of grace and peace. And it, he, he repays you by a covenant of peace. A covenant. Yeah, right. it he, actually he makes, says covenant of peace. He, he makes a contract with you of peace. I will give you my peace. Not as the world gives, 
My peace I give you. Exactly. Not as the world gives. What is the world's peace when you do everything right? And everything is going right. <laughs> yeah. Psalm 62 was, I think, a Psalm of David. I'm right. Yeah, it is. I'm going to read the whole song because it's got some key words. It's only 12 verses. Okay. Psalm 62, 1 through 12. For the music director, Jehotham, a psalm of David. For God alone, I patiently wait. He is the one who delivers me. I wait for him to deliver me. The law of the spirit of the life in Christ delivers me from the law of sin and death. Isn't that the Romans new covenant? 8, 2. Just like he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ in Romans 7, 24. Isn't David saying the, the same, same thing? thing? Yes, he I, is. Uh, I, for God only I patiently wait. He is the one who delivers me. And he says it again. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He is my refuge. I will not be upended. How long will you th threaten the man? All of your, all of you are murderers as dangerous as a leaning wall or an unstoppable force. My printer was running out of ink. <laughs> I'm a little struggling. <laughs> they spend all their time planning how to bring him down. They love to use deceit. They pronounce blessings with their mouth, but inwardly they utter curses. Selah. I tried to find out about that word Selah. It's used in the Psalms a lot. No one really knows what it means, but it actually means, the best I could find out, uh, when it says Selah, it means stop and think about this. So let, let's think about this. He's saying, I wait on you only. Because you're my shield. And you alone are my shield. You're my refuge. You're, you're all those things you need, I need right now. Mm -hmm. So he says, I wait for you. And he says, all these people are waiting to destroy me, basically. David was in trouble again. And they're, they got bad intentions against him. But he, he doesn't say, I'm going to fight them or take them on. He says, I'm going to wait. And then he says, Selah, stop, think about this. Here I am. I'm powerless to do anything. I can't stop sitting. I want to do the good, the good I want to do, I don't do. What do you do when you, you're trying and failing and trying and failing? The best thing is to say law, to stop and wait. My soul waits thou only. Mm -hmm. You didn't know I could speak King James. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, Dardosti? My soul waits thou only. I wait on God to do for me what I can't do for myself. I wait for him to work in me and express him self through me because I am an instrument or a vessel 
that God uses. And when he does use the instrument or the vessel, he manifests himself through that instrument. And you get to feel what it feels like. You get to literally feel eternal life. Remember in John 17, this is eternal Eternal life. life. To experience God and to experience Christ. It's our gnosis word. Yeah. So again, just to review, it says, My soul waits only, only upon God, for from him is my expectation. And then it says, My enemies are waiting, but I, Selah, wait. My expectation is eternal life. We really need to to learn that. You you mentioned to know him as the definition of eternal life. To experience him. To experience him. Mm -hmm. We don't really have an equivalent of we have one word no and it can mean one word for no K-N-O-W and it means both things in the Greek that they have two words for. Uh, There's the word Edo and Gnosis. This one says, this is eternal life that you may know him. So, if I was to say, I know that January 1st falls on a Thursday, do do I use the word gnosis or the word edo, if I was putting that in the Greek? Edo. I would use edo. Why? Because it it seemed that there's a fact. It's, 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 it's knowing that four and four is eight. It's that type of knowledge. It's not an experience. It's not an experience, no. But gnosis... Now, if I was to say, I know lately, and I was... <laughs> you might punch me in the face. Yes, yes. Because... It, That's a different type. Mm-hmm. It's an experiential knowing. Well, this, John seventeen three. It says, this is eternal life. Is it Edo or Gnosis? That you know God, that you Gnosis God. Isn't that what the law of the spirit of the life in Christ? It's an experience, isn't it? You experience that dynamic, yes. Just like you experience the spirit, yes. You experience God, yes. You experience eternal life. They're they're all the same thing because that word gnosis, it's the word they use to say, and Adam knew Eve and they bore a child. Right. See, in English, I could say, I know Steve, but uh, it might, might mean, in the Hebrew or Greek, it might mean something it does mean something a lot more than knowing two plus two is four. Yes. So to translate it, literally you would put, this is eternal life to know God. To translate it like the NIV translates words, you would say, this is eternal life that you would experience God. Because Gnosis, allow, the word gnosis allows you to say this is eternal life that they experience God. 
the Greek word allows you to say experience. Okay, so let me finish the Romans 2 again. We, we just stopped on he will reward each one according to his works. And we saw that was the gospel of peace. Then he defines it further. He says, eternal life to those who by perseverance in good works seek glory and honor and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition and do not obey the truth but follow unrighteousness. That's a lot to unpack, but we we have a good start because we had eternal life is experiencing, experiencing Christ, knowing him. Okay, so he will reward each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by perseverance in good works see glory and honor and immortality but wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition and do not obey the truth but follow unrighteousness. Here's the way I interpreted that for forever, as long as I can remember. So he will reward each one according to his works. Now, I didn't know about he rewards with peace. I didn't know that. I just thought he's going to pour out wrath at some day some day yeah some day so eternal life to those who by perseverance in good works seek glory and honor and immortality i thought that meant after you live your life and you die you go to heaven that's that's really what i thought that meant yeah that's what i was told it meant yeah that's was the apex of the whole Bible. Right. This passage is talking about in the time zone. It's it's like present tense. It's not saying off in the future. It's saying right now. It is saying right now, and it's there's a it's a contrast. So those who do good in Bill's mind meant you go to heaven. But wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition and do not obey the truth but follow unrighteousness. You thought meant hell. That's where you go. That's what you deserve. And that's how we're going to applaud God's judgment. I can't think that because he just said that he repays. He will reward each one according to his works, good or bad, with the gospel of peace it said that that was right out of the psalm it, it says shalom yeah it really does say shalom peace. you can't take that away you can't take that away it, it doesn't allow shalom. you it's a covenant of peace mm-hmm. the Look bible won't behave it put in the word shalom it would not behave with what we thought it should say it's strong's word h7999 Shalom, to be in a covenant of peace. And it comes from 7965, which complements soundness, peace, and all of that. The yes. covenant of peace. Yeah, that's what he re- was repaying those people with. According to their works, good or, or bad, bad, they were still getting peace. peace. Because he did this not 
to make us live right, but to make us appreciate what he has. Now that we see that, I we're going to have to redefine this. Romans 8, 2, 8. Okay. He will reward each one according to his works. And that was the gospel of peace. So what does it mean to have the wrath of God? It, the wrath of God, where is where does the wrath of God take place? Let me put it that way. Does it take place in reality or does it take place in your mind, your hostile mind, your enmity thinking that God's against you? That you're an enemy of God. Thinking in your mind that you're an enemy of God. I mean, it says that right in, I think it's Ephesians, that they were enemies of God in their mind because of their behavior. And it leads to two different types of thinking, and they're both flesh. They're both flesh thinking. One is thinking that you could do enough good things, even though you don't have the ability, which you described beautifully last week. Or that you never can do enough good things, so you might as well be a dirty dog and just try and get the best out of whatever life, lousy life you have. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die anyway. What difference does it make? That's the two ways to think that through. But it's not the gospel. Let me read. Can we do one more psalm? Yes. Okay, let me get a moment. Let me find Psalm 2. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read from Psalm 2. I'm going to read verse 7 and 8, and then we're going to compare it to John 17, where we just were. I'm going to start in verse 6. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. So let's go back to John 17. Okay. Can you read that in John 17, 2 and 3? Okay. John 17, starting in verse 1. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that, that to all who you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may experience you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That they may experience you and me, those people. Okay, so Psalm 2 said, ask me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance. And Jesus said, you've given all people or all flesh to me. So we're not talking about 
when he says, I will give you all the nation, he's not talking about land masses. He's talking about people. Yes. All the different people he's given to Jesus so Jesus can give all the people something. And that something is eternal life. That they can experience God through the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. It was not what I thought it was going to heaven one day, as I, which I thought Romans 2 said. No. It's actually in a day-to-day experience. And he's finished the work on the cross so that he could give every person alive that, that wants it eternal life life, the life of God in them, instead of the endemic life that tries and fails. This is the abundant life, the life of the Holy Spirit, Zoe life. That's what that word eternal life means. Zoe and eternal is Another word that's lost its meaning. Butchered, yeah. It means the life of the ages. Right, or or the life of the age to come. The life of the age to come, but now. Yeah. Okay. It's a quality of life thing. It is a quality. That's the best way to define it. It's not going to heaven and living out all the rest of time. It is having... Jesus said, this is eternal life, experiencing God. It's a quality of life that you experience right now throughout each day. From time to time, you experience heaven itself. You experience the life of God working through you. So the first thing we've learned in the podcast, and we got to always remember this, never forget this, that he gave you the gospel of peace. It's what it says right there. He will repay, recompense every bad work with a covenant of peace. It was not to punish you. It was to show you how much you need eternal life. It was to show you how much you need the life of the Spirit. It was to show you how much you need Jesus inside of you living day to day that's what eternal life is all that failure and inability was not to make you feel bad it was to make you show you of a need that you have you need the life you need his go ahead a better way to live a better way I thought you were going to say something profound. Yeah, yeah. No, just you need a better way to live. You need the new covenant that that I made. Covenant shalom is what you live by now. The gospel of peace. Yes. And the gospel of grace. Like Paul said, this is my way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. Pretty consistent. Yes. And next week we can pick up on this because not only is there no need to be afraid of 
how we can't do, we can't live the righteous life we want to, to, to live. We should not be afraid of that because that was the whole point, that in and of ourselves we can't live this life. And next week maybe we can take a look at some of the ways God motivates us to do the good with good. Like it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to, to and it's the goodness and kindness of God that we just read that leads us to repentance. It's the way it, we can get into some of the parables that Jesus told, how the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the motivating factors in those were the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace and the gospel of security and the gospel of God's love and the gospel of how far God is willing to go to the ends of the earth to bring us into the right relation that we now have. So we can talk about that next week, but for now, just to show you that the whole futility of human effort and self-will, you needed to know that it never works to see how good the spirit life in you does work. So hopefully we've, we're getting that, but we'll bring it up next week and we'll get into some of the benefits to this gospel of peace that he, that he brings about in the covenant of peace. With that said, Guard Dog Steve, do you want to close us out in prayer? Sure, sure. Father God, please rain down your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can tie together all that's been spoken of and it will make a picture to us. You cause us in our minds to picture this new gospel that we live in, this new covenant that we live in, I'm sorry, this new covenant that we live in, Lord, cause us to be able to picture that new covenant because in doing so, we will know to abide in you, Father. So cause us to abide in you by causing us to picture the new covenant. In your son's name, we pray and ask for these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys, love you. Love you guys. Good night.